Matthew chapter 2 in your Bibles this evening. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I would appreciate your prayers as, I, as we move into late summer and early fall. There are several uh, series and topics I'm praying about taking up and I've been doing extensive reading uh, in preparation for a series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Uh, that is a wonderful uh, connection between practical living now in light of being kingdom citizens uh, in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, being challenged by that as I'm reading and then also uh, praying about doing a uh, series of maybe six to eight messages on the person of the Holy Spirit of God and uh, as it's called the doctrine of pneumatology and uh, looking forward to uh, the possibility of our better understanding the person of the Spirit, His ministry, and the necessity uh, of His ministry in the life of the believer uh, in particular. Uh, but this evening, I, I, as I have shared with you, uh, I feel like in some ways after that trip to Israel, the last portion of May in the first few days of June, that I've become a kindergartner in my Bible knowledge again. And uh, like this new set of glasses that I'm looking at things now that, it, you know, and I've teased about uh, all of Betty Lucan's flannel graph being so messed up now uh, and wrong, you know, just wrong. And, uh, but uh, I was thinking recently about uh, some uh, historical facts that we heard about Herod the Great while we were there. And I wanted to uh, direct our attention for spiritual application's sake to a contrast between Herod the Great, or as Matthew calls him in Herod chapter, in Matthew chapter two, Herod the King, and the little Lord Jesus, who is born that the wise men called King of the Jews, the contrast of two kings, and uh, I believe some very practical and relevant help and encouragement for us here in the middle of this week. My heart's already been encouraged, Amen, by the music this evening and uh, the fellowship and being together. And I know it's summer and folks are on vacation and we're missing a number. And uh, we've got uh, others who are going to be uh, joining us, uh, resuming, coming back from vacations and then moving into the fall time and uh, resuming uh, master clubs or children's programs. But uh, I am really wanting us to be helped this evening. Notice, if you would, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. We'll read to verse number 3. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Let's pray. Father, would you strengthen our hearts this evening through uh, this historical comparison and contrast? and a biographical sketch of, uh, in particular of Herod the Great, and then our desire to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, humble as his beginnings on earth were, and even as uh, antagonized and hated as many of his followers are to this day, I pray, Lord, that we would be helped this evening as we think about the fact that, as the songwriter said, Jesus shall reign. And uh, we look forward to, as believers in him and as citizens of his kingdom and those who are his disciples following him now, we look forward to that day when Jesus shall not just reign in our hearts, 
but will reign on earth. And uh, we say with John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Herod versus Jesus. Uh, do you like a good underdog story? The one who's outnumbered, uh, outgunned, undermanned, with uh, fewer resources, kind of the Gideon versus the Midianites type story. Or, to use another famous Bible story, David and Goliath scenarios. Don't you like a good underdog story? Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, referred to us, his disciples, as little flock. And uh, it's not a flattering thing that Jesus refers to believers as sheep. Now, it evokes within us a tender appreciation for the fact that he's the good shepherd, and it also speaks to our complete dependence upon him. I'm glad that uh, it was not. It was never a favorable comparison in the scripture when uh, someone was compared to a cow. Ye kine of Bashan, the prophet said. Or a horse, Isaiah chapter 51, the stubbornness of the mule and the horse and their mouth must be kept in with bit and bridle. And while it's not necessarily flattering that uh, we are compared to sheep, uh, both the Old Testament believers and in the New Testament, it is still a striking image because it reminds us of our dependence upon him as our shepherd. Aren't you glad he's not just the good shepherd, but he's the great shepherd? But fear not, little flock, we are sheep. And if ever uh, there was an underdog story, it's the sheep of this world, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ against the wolves of this world, and uh, their ruler and king, that lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. But another underdog contrast that I want you to think about from the perspective of first century Jews in the Jerusalem region of the nation of Israel was baby Jesus, born in a cattle stall, laid in a stone manger, likely a stone manger. Baby Jesus, born from a human perspective, the son of poverty-stricken people from the backwoods of redneck Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Only in Bethlehem from a human perspective, to register and pay their taxes, but from God's perspective, to fulfill multiple prophecies. But from a human perspective, if ever there were an underdog story, it is the contrast between baby Jesus and Herod the Great. As I think about this, I have several characteristics that I bring out about Herod the Great, and we can see little glimpses that substantiate Uh, the historical record of Herod the Great uh, as we look at the Scripture. As I think about Herod the Great and study his life both in Scripture and historically, he was a broker of power. Uh, The nation of Israel was under Roman domination, but Julius Caesar appointed Herod, who was not even a Jew. He was an Edomite from Idumea, descendants of Esau, south of the nation of Israel, in the Negev desert region of today. He was an Idumean who had been placed as king through his uh, interactions with the Roman pharaoh, or the Roman Caesar, Julius Caesar. He had been placed on the throne of Israel. And then when Julius Caesar died, a civil war broke out in Rome 
between two men. Maybe you've heard their names, Mark Anthony and Octavius. At first, Herod threw his support to Mark Anthony because Mark Anthony held sway in the eastern part of the Roman Empire and was allied with Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt. And so, if for no other reason, because of geographical proximity, he supported Mark Anthony and Cleopatra as they sought to defeat Octavius. And that, of course, affected his reputation with Octavius. But then when he saw the civil war swaying in the direction of Octavius, he made a very shrewd move and went and humbled himself before Octavius. And in fact, Octavius would defeat Mark Anthony and become the Caesar of Rome, and he would be the first of the Roman emperors who would obtain what you would call absolute centralized power, and he would become known as Caesar Augustus. And so Herod was a shrewd politician who knew how to make relationships. And it was a, really, when you talk about a broker of power, you think about, uh, you think about those who lobby in Washington, D.C., those who use their money and their influence to uh, affect policy, to uh, marginalize voter blocks, and to sway and influence what happens here in the United States. United States, yeah, it stakes too. All the while that, that Herod is doing this, that he is keeping his relationship with Rome good by maneuvering and shrewdness and even switching alliances, not just to save his neck but to keep his power, all the while as an Edomite he is not popular with the Jews. And yet he does specific things in order to appease the Jews and to win the support of the Jews. All this to say, as a broker of power, Herod the Great was the master. I wrote this in my notes. He made what happens daily on Capitol Hill look like children playing with Legos. But also as it relates to Herod the Great, I noticed this. Not only was he a broker of power, but he was a builder of magnificent structures all over Israel. We saw the ruins of them in multiple places and he had various motives that, that moved him to do the building that he did. Some of the building that he did, for instance, the city of Caesarea Maritime uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, he built to impress Rome. And in fact, when the second in command to Caesar Augustus came, he was so impressed by the Romanesque uh, architecture Herod built a magnificent stadium there, a magnificent palace, a magnificent artificial harbor, and uh, he hosted at different times games that were the equivalent to the Olympic Games. Many of you maybe don't know that. I didn't even know all of this about Herod until we were there. But he did all of this magnificent building in Israel in order to impress Rome. Uh, he did magnificent building in order to appease the Jews. He rebuilt the temple that was reconstructed under Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the wall. It was a very small temple. Remember, we mentioned this recently as we were in the book of Nehemiah, that uh, when the temple, after the return from the Babylonian captivity, was rebuilt, the young men shouted and the old men cried because the old men could remember the magnificence of Solomon's temple and they cried because it didn't hold a candle. This 
return, this captivity, return, this uh, temple that they built after the return from Babylonian captivity didn't hold a candle to Solomon's temple. And so even while sacrifices continued, Herod essentially rebuilt this temple, doubled its size, used enormous amounts of gold in the reconstruction of this temple. It would take years to rebuild and to remodel, doubling the size, expanding the size of the temple courtyard, temple mount. Uh, How many of you have seen the famous picture from the east side of Jerusalem back looking at Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock, the gold Dome of the Rock? Most of us have seen that picture. And how that Dome of the Rock just towers over the landscape there on Temple Mount, that Muslim mosque. It was intriguing to me to find out that Herod's temple, when he was finished with it, was twice as high as what the Dome of the Rock is today. I actually looked for a picture that maybe... Uh, simulated the contrasting of the heights. The Dome of the Rock at its peak is about 70 feet tall from ground to the peak of the dome. Herod's temple at its peak with the level of the courtyards was approximately 150 feet tall, twice the size. There was so much gold used in the building of Herod's temple on the inside and to gild the outside of the temple as well so that from a distance when the sun shone on it, the temple literally glistened. It's believed that that's one of the reasons that uh, no stone was left unturned, obviously to fulfill Christ's prophecy, but no stone was left unturned because when the Roman soldiers under Titus in 70 AD set the temple area on fire, the gold of the temple melted down into the cracks between all of the great stones of the floor and of the temple, and so they literally just knocked everything over to glean as much gold as they could in fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. But he built the temple to appease the Jews. He built several palace fortresses to satisfy his own greed and his luxurious tastes and because he was a man who lived in constant fear for his life. He was a very insecure man, though a very proud man and a a very powerful man, a very ruthless man. He was also a very insecure man. He was constantly in fear of Cleopatra (laughs) coming from the south to avenge his switching allegiance. And so he built several fortresses One about seven miles south of Jerusalem called Herodium. Another one uh, further south on the edge of the Dead Sea uh, called Masada. But for whatever reasons, he was a great builder. And to this day, you can see a picture. Brian went ahead and brought it up. I was going to bring that up a little bit, but just leave it up right there. You see that? So you can see the big dot. Okay, that is Herodium. I'm going to show you some pictures of that here in just a few moments. You can see Bethlehem just to the left. Bethlehem would have been uh, from Herodium about three miles, and then you can see Jerusalem about seven and a half miles further north. So that kind of gives you a frame of reference. So here was a man who was a broker of power. Here was a man who was a builder of magnificent buildings, temple, cities, harbors, uh, palaces, fortresses. It was just unreal, uh, the work that this man did. But let me tell you another thing about Herod. Herod was a bad man. He was a broker of power, he was a builder of magnificence, but he was a bad man. The scripture gives us glimpses of this. Notice, if you would, chapter number 2, 
verse number two, Matthew, saying, these wise men saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was, what's the word? Troubled. It means stirred up, agitated, on edge, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would Jerusalem be agitated, on edge, and all stirred up? Because if Herod was upset, that means somebody was going to pay a high price. It was just the way he worked. History reveals to us that of ten wives that Herod had in the course of his adult life, we know of ten, some people think there were more, he killed his favorite wife. There was a Merimna the first, a Merimna the second, and then jokingly I've said this, when Merimna the third, when he proposed to her, she said, no, thank you. Okay. His first wife was named Doris. He had wives of different backgrounds. He married, had a wife named Cleopatra of Jerusalem. He killed his favorite wife, killed his father-in-law, killed an uncle at one point. Three of his ten children, sons, he killed them. And it's believed that he had even more children than that, and who knows if he killed others. He was so ruthless and so insecure and fearful that when he died, he would not be missed by the Jews, that he had left orders that the well-known and famous noblemen of Jerusalem, that a large contingency of them be executed the instant that he died, so that in grieving for these noblemen that he had had executed even in his final act before he died, that there would be grieving that people would think was for him. It's said that his son Archelaus and his sister Salome rescinded that order and spared the lives of those men. Julius Caesar quipped of Herod the Great after he had heard of his executing one of his sons. He said, I'd rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Uh, In the Greek language, the word pig is huos, and the Greek word son is huios, and it was a play on words. He was saying, I would rather be Herod's huos than his huios. For the Jews living in the first century, however, Herod the Great was the ultimate in power. It's interesting, and I believe one of the things that would have stirred Herod The official title given him by Julius Caesar when he was placed in power in 37 B.C. was king of Judea, not king of the Jews. King of Judea, not king of the Jews. Do you understand and see the difference? King of Judea is king of a region. King of the Jews is king of a people. Jesus as a baby, is called by these wise men the king of the Jews. Herod was only one time in Scripture called king of Judea, but never king of the Jews. And as the Jews living in that first century would have looked at his intrigue and his scheming and his power and his great might and his building programs that was was built both with paid and slave labor, 
and all that he would do to impress the Romans and to appease the Jews and to satisfy his own greed. And if you were in his favor, you were blessed. If you were not, you were in trouble. And in a world where might makes right and it's not what you know but who you know, the man to be feared, the man to be followed, and the man to place your faith in would have been Herod from a human perspective. And yet, is there no greater contrast than Herod the king versus Jesus the king? Now, I want to show you a few pictures here. If we can go ahead and bring those back up. How it would have uh, goaded, insecure, and sensitive Herod to the depths of his wicked heart to hear the term king of the Jews, a title that he coveted, used of a baby being born in Bethlehem. And of course, even as we think about the scripture, the scripture tells us how ruthless Herod was in having all of the baby boys of Bethlehem, two years of age and under, executed in the night, even as Joseph and Mary escape under the direction of the angel. But here was a man who longed to be the king of the Jews, but the title given him was king of Judea, a title he so desperately craved but had not acquired And instead, it's being given to a baby being born in, of all places, Bethlehem. Now, Herod, the man who epitomized political power, material wealth, earthly notoriety, and influential fame, was a man who dominated the scene of first century Israel. The picture here. Is a picture that uh, I took when we were there. I had never even heard of Herodium before. Herodium is about seven and a half miles south of Jerusalem. If you remember the map that the guys put up a little bit ago, you could see Jerusalem and seven and a half miles south of Jerusalem is this mound that rises up out of the plain all around it Now, it's mixed in with the hills of Judea near Bethlehem where King David would have been, where he would have as a shepherd boy herded sheep on the outskirts of Bethlehem. But Herod built in the 23 to 20 BC, he built Herodium as a political fortress, as a palace fortress. Uh, This, as you can see, uh, how high it is. From the level of the plain around it, it is 200 feet to the peak. 200 feet high, and it is an artificial mountain that he had built with slave labor. In other words, before 23 BC, it wasn't there. But he had it built. Now, if we can go ahead and work through the rest of the pictures. This is an aerial view of it. When excavations were begun, uh, they found, and I know you can't see up close, but you can see... The hole there in the top almost looks like the open crater of a volcano, but you can see it's in the shape roughly of a circle. And then if you look closely, you can see that there were four towers on what would be four corners, even though it was a circle. Uh, Go ahead and go to the next picture. You can see how it dominates the hillside. The entire side of the mountain all the way around, though now it's covered with debris and sediment, the entire mountain was made up of stones like this that made it nearly impossible to climb if anyone was trying to uh, conquer Herodium. Go ahead and go to the next picture. This is an artist's rendition of what it would have looked like before it was destroyed 
uh, in the, I believe, the second century A.D. after Christ, uh, the second century A.D., uh, you can see uh, it was from, from the bottom story to the top, though it was dug down into the mountain, this man-made mountain, from the bottom story to the top, it was 115 feet high. 200 feet diameter across, all of it man-made, not to mention the mountain that it sat on was man-made. You can see servants' quarters. It had all of the luxurious amenities of the day. It had a swimming pool. It had hot and cold baths. It had servants' quarters. It had granary enough to uh, feed those who would be holed up there for years uh, there was an underground cistern, several of them, in fact, where water was channeled in so that all of the water that would be needed to subsist literally for several years was there as well. Uh, it was outfitted after Herod would have been there, even with a synagogue. Uh, so it was completely self-contained for several years. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, this is a picture that I found online. This is taken from the top of the ruins in Herodium, and you can see the arrows pointing, uh, one to Bethlehem, or the, the proximity of where Bethlehem would have been in the first century when Christ was born there, and then the proximity of Jerusalem. You can see how close they are. Again, Bethlehem would have been about three miles away it struck me as I thought back on standing on the top of Herodium that if anybody would have been on top of Herodium on the night that Christ was born, they could have seen the flash in the sky of the angels. And yet here is Herodium, this testimony, just one testimony to the greatness of Herod and his power and his might, his ambition, his vision, his ruthlessness... And yet, literally, you can see the buildings of Bethlehem just a short distance down the mountainside, across the low valley, and then up on the next rise. Let's go ahead and go to the next picture. I think this is a video. So if you want to, this is starting looking uh, west. You have to click it again for it to move. There we go. So it starts overlooking Bethlehem. There are some of the outbuilding or the, the buildings of current Bethlehem. And then as you get further to the right, you can look on the skyline and you can see some tall buildings. That was the horizon of Jerusalem. Herod specifically had this artificial mountain built as high as he did so that from Herodium, he could see the skyline of Jerusalem. He could see, Josephus said, you could see the temple seven and a half miles away. You could see the temple in Jerusalem from the top of Herodium. And so here is this man, Herod, a man who epitomized political power, a man of material wealth. Uh, there were times when even it said the Roman Empire was running short on finances to, to support some of the regional games leading up to the equivalent of the Olympics, and Herod would help to bankroll it. He was a man of earthly notoriety, a man to be feared, a man of influential fame, in his favor was tremendous wealth and abundance, and in his hatred was certain death. Think of the perspective of first century Jews. Think about, as they looked for the picture of greatness, the epitome of greatness, who they would have looked to. Think of the step of faith 
it would have taken for them to have turned their eyes from Herod to a baby being born in poverty in Bethlehem. And yet if you stood to the north of Herodium and looked back, you could see that rise of Herodium, the massive fortress on top, the tower. And then if you would have looked to the southwest, you would have seen old little town of Bethlehem. All of it right there. In one panorama just a few miles apart, one epitomizing earthly greatness, power and might, luxury, wealth, and another poverty. Even the ruins of Israel are monuments to Herod's greatness. We went to Masada and saw the ruins of palaces that he built there and the fortress that he built there as a place that if Cleopatra or some other enemy would have ever invaded the land, he would have first gone to Herodium. And then if it would have gotten too hot there, if you would, or too intense there, he could have left Herodium and gone further south and closer to the Jordan Valley to Masada and made a final stand there. And then if he needed to go further, he could have gone to his home country in Edomia. Even the ruins are amazing to see. I thought about the ruins of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, stones, and they still don't know how they got them in place. One of the biggest stones still in place from the day that Herod's workmen put it in place in the building of the Temple Mount is a stone that weighs 55 tons. It's, they still don't know how they got it in place. And the beauty that he would carve on these stones and how each one was framed around the outside edge. And even when they carved into uh, bedrock, they would simulate the look of those stacked stones carving it into solid rock. And so even the ruins are testimonies to the greatness of Herod. But Herod didn't realize he was fighting against prophecy. Uh, Keep your hand here and go with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Isaac would take a bride named Rebekah. It would be brought back to him by Eliezer, his father Abraham's servant. And she would be barren for many years. And yet, Genesis 25 and verse number 21 tells us, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? In other words, if this is the answer of God, the provision of God, why is this so miserable? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people should be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder Esau shall serve the younger Jacob. I think about a prophet by the name of Balaam from the heights of Moab eastward across the Jordan prophesying to the king of Midian that a star was going to rise out of Jacob. A star would rise out of Jacob, and from Jacob would come a son named Judah, his fourthborn. And from Judah would come David, and then David would, after so many generations, have a son born through Mary, and his name would be Jesus. 
Herod, a descendant of Esau. Jesus, a descendant of Jacob. And regardless of how things looked from a human perspective, even as one would look at Herodium and look at poor little Bethlehem, God's word always prevails. And the elder, Esau, will serve the younger, Jacob. And that little king born in poverty in Bethlehem is the one who would be the king of the Jews. Really, we face the same choice today that the Jews of the first century did. Even as we think about the brokers of power in our world and as we think about Uh, the news media talking about China's ascending and its maneuverings, and we see what's happening in our country right now with the economy and what's happening in our capital. And we think about the earthly fame of athletes and movie stars and how they're asked for their political opinion on things they really have no idea about. And yet one tweet from a superstar athlete or a movie star can literally influence the mood of a nation. And we think about the folly of all of that, and yet how real it is. And it can be overwhelming at times. The economy and how we're speaking now of being on the verge not just of a recession in our country, but a global recession. And some are in denial about it. And who do you believe? You look around at those who have the power and at those who speak with one simple tweet. And literally policy and economy can be influenced for weeks to come. You think about those who have earthly notoriety and influential fame, those who build the Herodiums and the Masadas of the 21st century instead of the 1st century. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to be intimidated by the Herods of the 21st century? Or are we going to fix our eyes on the babe in a manger and realize he's the king? He's the king. The babe in the manger still conquers the brokers of power, the builders of those things which the world thinks of as majestic, and praise the Lord, the babe in the manger still conquers the bad men of this world. Simple lesson from a mound of rubble seven and a half miles south of Jerusalem. And with an eye shot and ear shot. It was amazing to me as we stood on top of Herodium, the ruins of Herodium, that we could hear the sounds of Bethlehem just across the way. Bethlehem, big as it is now, but what a contrast. And yet I'm glad that we can follow King Jesus. Father, thank you for the encouragement of this simple thought tonight. I pray that it would strengthen us for the remainder of this week. Lord, that it would help us to have perspective, even as we look around at the Herods of our own generation, and the Herodians, and the Masadas, and the palaces, and the power brokers, 
of our generation. And I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes on King Jesus and to not be phased by all that we see taking place around us. And I pray these things in the name of that babe in the manger who became the Christ of the cross and who will someday be the king of the universe. And we pray this in his name.